How many? Somebody do the math real quick. <laughs> 95. <laughs> any math majors in here? So, so Patty and I have been married 39 years. That's a long time, ain't it? She has been blessed in those 39 years. All right, let's get into the Word this morning. If you have your Bibles, and I hope that you do, we'll be back in the Old Testament in the book of Jonah. All right, we'll be in the book of Jonah. And so, so 2024, we started out last week. Uh, I know Jason preached the first Sunday of the, of the year, then I preached last Sunday. Um, and I gave you some challenges. I gave you some charges. Now, I know that several of you weren't here last week, and that's good because I'm going to tie some things together with last week. I'll, I'll refresh a few things from last week. Those that were here last week can say, yeah, we already heard that, but we'll move on. But the, here's the thing. Last week, we were in the New Testament. This week, we're in the Old Testament. I want to show you, and we're going to tie some things together this morning, some important things. We talked about some different things. The title of the message this morning, and I sent you two emails this week, but certainly the title of the message for this morning is Responding to the Will of God. Responding to the Will of God. And so we looked at some things last week about that. We looked at some things this week. And so I'm going to start with a question for you. How do you respond to the will of God? You know, how you respond about it. Over the over an extended period of time, we have been talking and studying the Word of God about the will of God, about the will of the Father and, and what He wants us to do. And last Sunday, we spent some time together in the Gospel of John chapter 4, and we looked at an encounter. At the end of the encounter, we looked at the Scripture that, that told us about what was taking place at the end of the, an encounter with Jesus at the woman at the well, the Samaritan woman at the well. We saw that encounter. Our studies showed us how Jesus changed her life significantly after that encounter. And we reinforced some things about how when you have an encounter with Jesus Christ, your life has changed. I mean, it changes significant. This woman was changed significantly. He changed her life. We saw how she became a faithful servant and most likely a faithful worker. Most likely it continues on. The Bible doesn't give us a lot of information about her after that event, but most likely she became a, 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 a changed person from what she was, obviously, but she became a faithful servant, a faithful worker. She went straight back to the Samaritan city, and she began to tell people what Jesus had done for her. She began to tell people how he changed her life. It was such an impact on the city that many people came out to see Jesus. They came out to hear him. They wanted to, to know more about him because of what she said they believed, but they wanted to hear for their own self, and they went out and they saw Jesus as well. We spent some time discussing how Jesus changed his encounter with the disciples. Right after that, the disciples came back with food, which was the objective that they went into the Samaritan city for. They came back, and we see how Jesus changed that, that focus from food into that of reaping a harvest. If you reflect back on that, you remember what we talked about the harvest. The challenge that I gave you last Sunday was preparing and planting the seed as we move forward into 2024 because there's going to be a harvest. There is a harvest. God has already told us that there's going to be a harvest. He's the one that's going to receive the harvest, but we have to be part of the preparation, part of the planning, part of the cultivation, all these things that go into preparing for the harvest. These are all things we talked about last week. We spent some time discussing the preparation that needed that was needed before the harvest. I talked to you about several things from that. We looked at the word and see what, what Jesus was talking about the harvest. 
Then if you came back Sunday evening at the 5 o'clock session, Sunday evening we spent some time focusing on the faithful service of who? Y'all didn't none of y'all come back last Sunday? Who do we, who was, see, I told y'all this early on when I came here. By Wednesday, most people cannot remember what the preacher preached on last Sunday. Is that true? What we, what I preached on Sunday night. John the Baptist, way to bring it. All right, did you just look that up or what? You went back to the bulletin and got it off the bulletin. All right. John the Baptist, we looked at faithful service because I talked to you about being a faithful service in the morning. We went Sunday evening and we talked about being a faithful service. We looked at how John the Baptist checked all the boxes. We discussed how he followed the will of God for his life as a faithful service. Now, each of these encounters gives us a positive response of how they responded to the will of God, how the Samaritan woman responded to the will of God for her life, how the deacons of the deacons. Boom, here we go. How the disciples responded when Jesus talked to them. And we looked at how John the Baptist responded. All these responded in a positive manner. Now, church, listen up. God calls Christians into service, into his ministry, and we have to respond one way or the other. We either respond positively or negatively. Let me tell you something. You will respond, okay? Now, you're going to respond either one way or the other, positive or negative, and we're going to talk about that this morning. We're going to look at how Jonah responded to the will of God for his life. If you are able, would you stand with me in honor of the reading of God's Word? Jonah, chapter 1, starting in verse 1. We're going to read 17 verses of Scripture this morning. The Word of the Lord came to Jonah, some of Amittai, get up, go to the great city of Nineveh and preach against it because their evil has come up before me. Jonah got up to flee to Tarsus from the Lord's presence. He went down to Joppa. He found a ship going to Tarsus. He paid the fare and went down into it to go with them to Tarsus from the Lord's presence. But the Lord threw a great wind onto the sea and such a great storm arose on the sea that the ship threatened to break apart. The sailors were afraid, and and each cried out to his God. They threw the ship's cargo into the sea to lighten the load. Meanwhile, Jonah had gone down into the lowest part of the vessel, stretched out, and fallen into a deep sleep. The captain approached him and said, What are you doing? Sound asleep. Get up. Call to your God. Maybe this God will consider us, and we won't perish. Come on, the sailors said to each other. Let's cast lots. Then we'll know who is to blame for this trouble we're in. So they cast lots, and the lots singled out Jonah. Then they said to him, Tell us who is to blame for this trouble we're in. What is your business, and where are you from? What is your country, and what people do you come from? He answered them, I am Hebrew. I worship the Lord, the God of heavens, who made the sea and the dry land. Then the men who who seized then... The men were seized by a great fear and said to him, What have you done? The men knew he was fleeing from the Lord's presence because he had told them. So they said to him, What should we do to you so that the sea will calm down for us? For the sea was getting worse and worse. He answered them, Pick me up and throw me into the sea so that it will calm down for you. For I know that I am to blame for this great storm that is against you. Nevertheless, the men rode hard to get back to dry land, but they couldn't because the sea was raging against them more and more. So they called out to the Lord, Please, Lord, don't let us perish because of this man's life. 
and don't charge us with his innocent blood. For you, Lord, have done just as you please. Then they picked up Jonah and threw him into the sea, and the sea stopped its raging. The men were seized by great fear of the Lord, and they offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows. The Lord appointed a great fish to swallow Jonah, and Jonah was in the belly of the fish for three days and three nights. Pray with me, please. Father God, I ask that you bless the reading of your word. God, I ask that you cleanse me of every sin, cleanse me of every impurity. Father, I ask that you hide your servant behind the cross and allow me to deliver your message to your people. These things I ask in your son's precious and holy name. Amen. You may be seated. The Bible is a story about God from Genesis to Revelation. The whole book is about God. It's about a story of God. Jesus is the key character in the story of God. But this whole book is about God. Last week, we looked at some events that took place, and I just shared those with you. We looked at some things that point to us in, in the New Testament all about God. But, but Jonah is just as is specific and just as significant. Jonah has a significant place in the Bible. Now, the book of Jonah is just four short chapters. If you want to start out reading the Bible and you hadn't had an opportunity to read it, you want to just read something that's really quick, you can read the four chapters of Jonah in about 20, 25 minutes. And if you're a fast reader, you might read it in faster than that, but it doesn't take much time to read it. But the whole book of Jonah is con- condensed together, all right? And it's all part of the, the story about God. Now, Jonah was a prophet and a preacher. If you know anything about him, up until this point, he had been a faithful servant. He'd been a faithful worker. He was a prophet and a preacher. Jesus even makes reference to Jonah over 400 years after these events take place. Jesus is talking about Jonah 400 years later because of what he was, who he was. Matthew 12, 40 says this, For as Jonah was in the belly of the huge fish, and that's where he refers to him as a huge fish, three days and nights the Son of Man will be in the heart of the earth for three days and three nights. Now, I suspect you that you probably could ask anybody if they knew the story of Jonah in the Bible. And what you would see is most people would say, yeah, they know about it. It's about a a man being swallowed by a whale. Amen? Would you agree? Most people would say, hey, do you know the story of Jonah? Bob would say, yeah, it's about this man that fell off the boat and this big whale followed him. Well, let me tell you something. I know whales get pretty big because I've watched the Discovery Channel, right? Never seen a big whale. I've been to SeaWorld, seen those, those, those whales. They're, they don't look big enough to swallow a whole man. But I know there's some big whales other than those great, uh, whatever you call them, killer whales. There's some big whales. But you think about it, you know, when people would say, hey, that's pretty hard to believe. That a man could fall off a boat and be swallowed by a whale, be under the water in the whale's belly for three days and three nights, and still be alive and be put back out on dry land three days later. That's, that's pretty hard to believe, wouldn't you see? God's word hard to believe sometimes. But miracles happen, and God is the miracle worker. But you think about it, it's hard to believe. Some people say, hey, I, that's probably just a dream that Jonah had, and he recorded as a dream. It's probably just a fairy tale. That's the way they look at it. But let me tell you something. Let me just, just deep into this now. Jonah's four short chapters of the Bible, but is a key to part of the story about God. Let me just, for 2 Timothy three sixteen, Paul says this, and you just say it with me if you know it. All scriptures inspired by God is profitable for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness. Amen? 
Every single word from Genesis 1 to Revelations at the end is all part of God's word. And this is exactly the same thing. There's a reason that God put four chapters of Jonah in the Bible because he wanted you to know about it. We were talking about responding to the will of God. We looked at some things last week about that. But I'm gonna, we're going to look hard at how Jonah responds to the will of God for his life. And that's the reason it's in here. The book of Jonah is not a fish or a whale story. It's not about a, a man falling off a boat and being followed by a whale. That's not what this story is about. When you read those four chapters, look at it a little heavier. The book is not even about a fish, although this great fish, as the Bible refers to it, because if you look in that passive scripture, you see the word great multiple times. It talks about a, a great fish. He talks about a, a great storm. All these things are poking on it, focusing on it, and it refers to a great fish, and that's an important part of the story. All right? It's important because we understand, we got to understand a perspective about the essentials and the incidentals. These are things I want you to think about. Certain parts of this story are essentials. They're things that are, are key factors in it. And then there's some other things that are the incidentals that happen along with it. And we're going to look at that this morning. The incidentals are that this is a, a huge fish, a big fish, so to speak, a pretty impressive wind. It said it was a, a great storm, a great wind. It was so much that it was trying to break the boat apart, so much that these uh, experienced fishermen were unloading the boat and chunking the cargo into the into the water. It was so much that that they were f- afraid that they were going to perish in this water. All these are impressive incidentals. The boat was part of it. A bunch of sailors were part of it. And even the city of Nineveh is an incidental in this passage of Scripture. Now, if you go on and read the rest of Jonah, there's some things that take place in Nineveh. So let's look at this together. Now, you've got to understand the essentials that go along with this. Here it is. The essentials are God and Jonah. Now, if we're going to get a little bit tighter about it, when you look heavy at this, it's not just God, but it's God and how Jonah responds to God. That is the essentials. That's what's important in this passage of Scripture. That's what you've got to focus on, is what God is going to do. Now, now there's some things that Jonah did, and we see that in, in the Scripture. But the focus of the story is not on what Jonah did or what the fish did or what the sailors did, even though each of them participated and each of them were very important in what was taking place because they all had something to do do. But this focus is a little bit different. The whole story of the book of Jonah, all four chapters revolves around what God did, not what anybody else did, what God did. Read on and you'll see that he ended up changing the city of Nineveh because of the way that Jonah reluctantly responded to the will of God. But God changed a huge city of non-believers, a huge city of lost people into saved people. And that's what's important. Amen. Ultimately, that's what's going to take place when we read on into the, to the story. We won't get to all of that today, but, but let's look at some things about the book of Jonah. The great fish is mentioned four little times. Four times we're talking about a big fish that follows Jonah. That's all we're talking about, that swallows Jonah. The great city of Nineveh is mentioned nine times. Jonah is mentioned 18 times. But guess how many times God is mentioned? 38 times. The more you mention something, it must be the more important it is. Amen. God is the most important thing in this passage of Scripture. Let me give you two key points in the book of Jonah. All right? And you think about these two key points in your life, and you think about them in the, the Christian walk. We have the same two key points in the book of Jonah. One, it is about the will of God and how we respond to it. Amen? That's a key point in our life. It's about the will of God and how we respond to it. Number two, it's about the love of God and how we share it. Amen? 
Man, you think about it. Those are the two key points in the book of Jonah. That's the same two key points in my life. That's the same two key points in Pine Hill Baptist Church's function for 2024. These are the same thing. God called Jonah, and he told him that he wanted him to go to the city of Nineveh to preach a message of repentance. Y'all ever heard that before? Over in the New Testament, what did we talk about it last Sunday night? A message of repentance. Let's look at that. Repent and change your ways. That's the message that he wanted to go tell. He wanted him to, here's what I want you to do, Jonah. Here we go again. Paraphrasing what God, and I paraphrased last week how Jesus called the disciples y'all. Y'all pick up on that. Hmm? Y'all go into the city. I had to check myself. I was thinking, you know, I had to check Jesus' background. I don't think the Hebrew language had y'all in it. But anyhow, <laughs> repent and change your ways. That's the message. Man, you think about it. Does that sound like the same message that John the Baptist is preaching 400 years later? Repent and change your ways because of what you're doing. We're talking about making a 180-degree turn. It's the same message. This is a, a critical message. This was a message that had the ability to save the, the large city, a great city, a multitude of people could come to know the Lord. A multitude of people could have a relationship with the Heavenly Father if they changed their ways. All they had to do was hear the message and respond to it, and they would be saved from elimination. Let's think about that. Two steps. Hear the message, respond to the message. Isn't that simple? Hear the message, respond to the message. James 1.22 says this, But be doers of the word, and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. That's a change in life. I mean, we can hear the word, but don't just hear it. You've got to be doers of the word. Here again is an excellent opportunity to let you know how People don't come to know the Lord unless somebody talks to them, unless somebody tells them. I mean, it takes a, a witness. It takes a, a disciple maker to go out and make disciples. It takes somebody telling other people about the love of Jesus Christ. It, tells somebody, it takes somebody showing them the love of Jesus Christ because that's what it is. That's what our charge is. That's what our, our mission is to take it outside. Someone has to share the gospel with them. Someone has to tell them about the love of Jesus Christ. Someone has to step out of their comfort zone into a hostile environment. When you think about this environment that Jonah's being asked to step into... It's a hostile environment. We'll talk a little bit more about it. But you think about your walk with the Lord. You think about your, your journey as a Christian. Are you comfortable stepping out outside of that comfort zone, talking to somebody that may not believe in Jesus Christ, somebody that may say, I don't, I don't, really, I don't really go along with that. I don't really see how you can believe that. You think about it. Somebody's got to talk to them about it. Somebody's got to step out of that comfort zone and let them know how much God loves them. That's the charge for 2024. Listen to this, Romans 10, 14, and 15. This is Paul writing again. And this is one of the sweetest verses or passages in, in, in the Bible. How then can they call on him they have not believed in? And how can they believe without hearing about him? And how can they hear without a preacher? And how can they preach unless they have been sent? As is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news. It's not just talking about a preacher. He's talking about a disciple maker, talking about a, a Christian. How beautiful feet of, of those who bring the good news of Jesus. I suspect Jonah was saying this. Now, this is paraphrasing again. Lord, of all the places you could send me to preach, don't send me to Nineveh. Man, don't send me to Nineveh. Why do you want me to go to Nineveh? And Lord, that's the last place on this earth that I want to go. I mean, you can think about it. If you look in the history 
These Nineveh, uh, the, the people of Nineveh, these Assyrian people were, were rough people. But most likely Jonah had been affected by them. His family may have been affected by them. He may have lost family members as a result of their hostility. I mean, that, there's no telling. Jonah had probably never heard this verse right here in Isaiah because Isaiah comes after Jonah. But you think about it. Isaiah 6, 8 says this. Here I am, Lord, send me. Think about that verse. That's a scary verse. Just apply that to your own life. Here I am, Lord, send me. But don't send me to... Huh? That's a pretty tough verse to swallow. Here I am, Lord, send me, but don't send me to anywhere that's dangerous. Don't send me to anywhere that they're killing people. Don't send me to Pakistan, Afghanistan, Africa, Haiti, Detroit, or Chicago. Huh? It's on the news. They're killing people there. They're killing people here. All over the United States. You know what? The United States is becoming one of those mission fields. You know, it used to be we sent out missionaries. Now they've got missionaries coming from other countries into the United States because we're a mission field now. Lord, don't send me to those places because it's just too dangerous. You, know, you ever negotiate with God? Yeah, God, I want to do that for you. I want to witness for you, but don't, don't make me do it here. You know, we'll do it where it's comfortable. We'll do it in church. Bring some people in the church. Let me talk to them in church. But when we get outside of the walls of the church where the mission field is, because that's where the mission field is when you step outside of the church, that's where we need to be expressing and talking to them. You look at it. History tells us that the Syrian people were cruel and ruthless, heartless people. They, had, they, they thought nothing about burying people alive. I mean, they, were, they would stack dead bodies by the door, just stack them up so you could see them. They were cold-hearted people. The last place Jonah wanted to go on a missionary trip was the city of Nineveh. The last place he wanted to go was somewhere that was not a comfortable place to be. He was out of his comfort zone there. Here's the thing about Jonah and this, this issue. Jonah had an attitude problem. You ever heard that before? You ever been told you had an attitude problem? Y'all shaking your head no right now, right? This is church. Y'all know that, don't you? My mother used to tell me that all the time. you got an attitude problem. I never understood what that meant. Y'all know what it means? Jonah had an attitude problem. Let's look at it. His attitude was interfering with his decision-making. Attitude interferes with your decision-making. When you have a bad attitude about something, it interferes with your decision-making. He had the wrong attitude toward God's will. He thought it was too difficult and too dangerous to go to Nineveh. Man, God's going to send me somewhere that's too difficult, too dangerous for me to go. Well, ultimately, what happens to you if you go and it's too dangerous? He's going to provide protection for you. He thought it was too dangerous. He had the wrong attitude about his witnessing. You think about it. He thought he could turn his witnessing on and off. He could use it when it was comfortable, use it when he could. He turned it on, turned it off. But it's just a matter of of using it when he wanted to use it. And he, he thought he could control it. He thought he could turn it on and off. He had the wrong attitude about his enemies. When you think about the Assyrian people, he had the wrong attitude toward his enemies. You think about it now. Do we have the wrong attitude toward our enemies? He wanted his enemies not, he didn't want to lead them to the Lord. He wanted God to wipe them off the planet. When you think about it, when you think about your enemies, you think about the attitude you have for them. Lord, help me to help them to know you. Is that an attitude? That's a good attitude. Lord, discipline them because they have a bad attitude. They have the wrong attitude toward you. He had the wrong attitude toward his enemies. His feelings toward the Syrian people were so strong. He, he despised these people so much that he was willing to, to disobey the, the creator of the universe. 
He was disobeying God because he didn't want to follow his instructions that God had given us. Here we see a man, until this point, had been a faithful worker. He hears God's call, and he heads in the opposite direction. He is definitely out of the will of God. Christians, God has called each of us into ministry. It says in the Bible, go therefore and make disciples. Amen? Go therefore and make disciples. Here's our charge. If we are not going, and if we are not making disciples, we need to evaluate whether or not... We are in the will of God. Amen. And you think about it. As a Christian, God's come into my heart. The Holy Spirit's come into my heart. He's changed me into a witness. He's changed me into a disciple that's going to eventually be a disciple maker. He's going to make disciples. But the thing is, if we're not doing what he's called us to do, which is go therefore and make disciples, we need to evaluate whether or not we are truly in the will of God. That's talking about us. I didn't say you. I said us. We need to look at our self-examination on that. Let's look a little bit further at this story. The Bible says he goes down to Joppa. It specifically talks about he goes down to Joppa. And when he gets there, he doesn't have any trouble finding the ship. He doesn't have any trouble finding a boat. He doesn't have trouble finding a a mode of transportation that's going to take him in the opposite direction of where he was supposed to go. He has no trouble with that. It says in the scripture that he buys a ticket. He gets on board the boat. He goes down into the lower parts of the boat. And he goes to sleep. And there's some emphasis on each of that. And let's look at that. He got, look here. He's probably thinking maybe a little downtime and God's going to change his mind. You think that? If I give him a little time to think about it, maybe he'll change his mind and he won't really want me to go. We can reassess this thing here a little bit later. Some downtime is what he needs. Understand this. The course of backsliding always points what direction? Downward. Now, I'm not talking about backsliding Christians, but that's what we're we're talking about here. A man who was a prophet, a man who was a preacher, a man who is sliding downward. And that's what backsliding is, all right? Understand this. He went down to Joppa. He went down to the ship. He went down in the sea. When they threw him overboard, he went down inside the great fish. Disobedience always leads downward. There's never anything prosperous about it. Jonah had been blinded by the deception of Satan. He thought that he knew better than God, eh? That's a tough one there, ain't it? Lord, I, I think I got a better solution to, to the city of Nineveh. I mean, don't, don't change them. Don't uh, secure their eternal destination in heaven with you because they're too, be- too bad. They're too bad. You think about it. They're too bad. Well, how bad was the Apostle Paul? We talk about that on a small group study. You think about it, all right? How bad could they have been, all right? How patient is our Lord of second chances? That's an important part of this message. How patient, how patient is our Lord of second chances? Church, listen to this. Let me tell you something. No matter where you are in your life today, we serve a God of second chances. Amen? Amen. Let me tell you something. He's got, more, he's got more than second chances. He's got third, fourth, fifth, whatever it takes. But let me, let me reassure you of something. Those chances stop when we leave this world. He'll, he'll, he'll welcome you. There's nothing you can do that would keep you away from him. He'll welcome you. He's the God of second chances. But those chances end when we leave this world. God had created the heavens and the earth and the sea. Is the God of second chances. He's the God that gives us second chances. Let's look a little bit further. He was not finished with Jonah. 
He had something else for him to do. He still had work for Jonah to do. He still had a mission trip that he wanted Jonah to go on personally. He still had a message of repentance that he wanted Jonah himself to tell these people. Now you think about it. When Jonah ultimately gets to Nineveh, and we'll, we may talk about that a little later, it takes several, several days for him to walk through this town telling all these people what God's going to do. But the thing is, they responded to it. He had a message he wanted to see. Now church, listen up. You cannot seek God's love and run the other way at the same time. You can't do it. You've got to be running in the direction that he wants you to go. You cannot be in the will of God and be going in the opposite direction. God has a will for each of our lives. And whether you know it or not, you're going to respond to that will. Now, here's the thing. We've got several options. We can respond positively to what he wants us to do. We can respond negatively to what he wants to do. Or we can just try to ignore it altogether and not respond at all, which is a negative response. But that's our choices. But how we respond to the will of God, all right, how we respond to the will of God is a direct reflection of how God moves and works in our lives. If you want to see a move in the life of this church, you've got to respond to the will of God. If you want to see a move in your own personal life, personally, you've got to respond to the will of God. That's, how it, that's what we talked about. Now, last week I told you that it was seed planting time. And it hadn't changed in a week. It's still seed planting time. We're getting closer, ain't we, Brother Myron? We're about to get ready. It's about to start planting season, all right? You're getting the ground ready. You're getting ready. It's just about time. And now we have to decide where we want to be in the ministry that God's called us into because he's called us into ministry together. He's called us into go, therefore, and make disciples. He's called us into to witnessing, to, to sharing the gospel. He's called us into loving on people, letting them feel it. He's called us to, to help sanctity of human life. He's called us to, 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 to speak on behalf of the unborn. That's what he's called us in to do. Do we want to be a faithful servant, a faithful worker who follows the direction of God, or do we want to be a servant who, who does follow but reluctantly, kind of like Jonah did? I'm, I'm going to get it done. We're going to get it done, but they might complain about it the whole way. But understand this. My challenge to you this morning, church, is let's be a church that exemplifies faithful service and faithful workers on mission with God. Amen? We want to seek the will of God for our church and for our lives. God loves us so much, man. He has loves us. He's offered us heaven as a free gift. Let me tell you something. Heaven is a free gift. You can't earn it. You don't deserve it. We deserve exactly the office. But John 3.16 says this, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son that whoever believes in him will not, should not, will not perish but have eternal life. Ephesians 2.8 says this, By grace you've been saved through faith, not of yourself. It's a gift of God. Man, man is a sinner. We're a sinner. We can't save ourselves. Nothing that we can do on our own behalf can gain us eternal life in heaven. We have to turn it over to God. Romans 3.23 says this, All have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Sin is a separation between us and God. We can't get to God. He can't get to us. There's a barrier between us. There had to be a solution. There had to be a sacrifice. And Jesus Christ paid that sacrifice for us on the rugged cross. He provided salvation for us, and we can have eternal life with him in heaven. Romans ten thirteen says this, Whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. That's my favorite passage in the Bible because it means that just like this Syrian people, just like the Apostle Paul, just like anybody that walks on this planet, nobody is too far gone that God won't pull them out. You can't be too far away from it. He won't pull him out. He'll write your name in the Lamb's Book of Life. Friends, let me tell you something. 
when our time on this earth is over, we're going to spend eternity in one of two places. We're going to spend eternity completely separated from God in hell, or we're going to spend eternity with Him in heaven. That's our two choices. There's only two options after this world. And the decisions that we make in this world, on this planet, determine we'll spend, where we'll spend eternity and eternity is too long to be wrong. Perhaps today you'd like to make sure and know without a shadow of a doubt that you know Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior, that you will spend eternity with him in heaven. Romans 10.9 says this, If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, and you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Let me tell you something. That's a simple technique. God didn't make it complicated. He said, I love you enough that I'm going to send my son to die for you. I love you enough that I'm going to provide a sacrifice for you. I love you enough that I want you to spend eternity with me, and I'm going to make it real easy for you. All you got to do is invite me in. If you invite me in, I'll come in and I'll live in your heart. I'll change you to something that that I want you to be, which was something that that we all want to be. Maybe this morning you'd like to to know without a shadow of a doubt. They're going to have a hymn of invitation in just a moment. I'll be down front. If you'd like to know more about this Jesus that I'm talking about, this sacrifice that he's made, certainly I'll be here for you. I'll stay afterwards. The fellowship can go on, and I'll still be right here for you. Whatever, the, whatever you need, this is the time set aside for you. Let me tell you something. The invitation, I tell you this every week, it's not just the end of the service. It's a portion of the worship service where we, we spend some time and we reflect on, on life. We reflect on our relationship with the Father. It's a time that you just do a vertical conversation with God the Father through the power of the Holy Spirit. It doesn't matter what other people are doing. It doesn't matter what other people are thinking. It's about my life and my relationship with the Lord. Whatever that is, whatever, if you need to come to the altar, the altar is always open for you. Our deacons are here to pray with you. I'll pray with you. If you have any decisions that you want to talk about or discuss, this is your time. Whatever it is, you make this part of your time with the Lord. Father God, I just come with you this morning. And God, I just thank you for your word. Thank you for the power that's in your word. And thank you for the way that you love each of us every day. And God, I just pray that if there's one person in the sound of my voice that doesn't know you as personal Lord and Savior, God, I pray that this day would be the day that it would come to know you. Father, for others in our congregation, God, I just pray that, that, that everything's tuned out and that the power of the Holy Spirit is just moving among us. God, we feel your presence like never before. These things I ask in your son's precious and holy name. Amen.